David was a warrior. He had warrior habits, and I believe that we should have the same kind of habits. There are four things that David did that were very, very powerful that not only changed his life, but even changed the history of Israel. And I believe God wants you to be a history maker in your life as well. So as we unpack this, the challenge today is will you have the courage to apply these habits to your life? And so I'm going di to dive right in. You guys ready? I'm fired up. So I'm, I'm ready to roll. So Marcus Aurelius once said, what we do now echoes in eternity. I truly believe that. And so today, as we look at these habits, it's time to apply to your life immediately because you were not meant to be cowering in your home in fear. The last few years, that's what they've been told. Everyone stay home and live scared. Everyone needs to be afraid. But that's not what the Bible teaches at all. It's the total opposite. And if you're waiting for some government official to get up and say, it's officially over, go back to business as usual, that's not going to happen. You're just going to have to make a decision and say, I'm not going to live in fear anymore. I'm going to live by faith. I'm going to live by courage. It's just time to do it. Now, the most famous scripture when it comes to David has got to be the story about David and Goliath. David was a, a teenage boy, lived with his dad. His dad said, hey, go check on your brothers. They're off at war. So here's David, you know, here's a charcuterie plate. Go give it to your brothers, you know. So David, you know, walks up. He's like, hey, my brothers, I'm supposed to get some cheese for them. And so they immediately, you know, passes him out here. This is my brothers. Where's the, where's the battle? So he's like most kids. He's rubberneck, and he wants to see, like, where's the fight? I want to see the fight, right? So he goes out to think he's going to see a fight, and he sees this giant named Goliath taunting all of Israel, saying, who can fight me? I defy the, you know, the, the God of Israel. And David's furious. David's a spiritual young man. He's like, this is ticking me off. This guy doesn't know who, his, who our God is. And he's so mad. And even makes him more bad when he sees all of his brothers and all the other people in the army all cowering and hiding when we were not intended to do that. So David goes to the king. He somehow gets access to the king because he used to work for him on this. Well, he still did work for him on the side. And he goes to the king and he says, hey, I'll fight him. And the king's like, David, I'm sorry, you're, you're a kid. You're not even in the army. He says, no, I, I'll fight him. This is what he told the king. He said this, when a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too. So he basically tells him, you know what? When a lion goes after my sheep, I go after it. I love the phrase, I go after it. Let me ask you something. What are you going after? That's how God speaks of you and me. We should be going after what he has called us to protect and what he's called us to do with our lives. You should be going for it. So the first thing that we see that David does, number one, is we got to make the first move. We got to strike first and strike hard. I know I sound like Cobra Kai right now, but I'm telling you, <laughs> it's true, Daniel's son. Strike first. Strike hard. That's what David does. And let me just encourage you, if you're going to fight someone much bigger than you, you do want to strike first and you better aim well and hit them good because it may be the only hit you get in. So it better count. And so that's what David did. Look at the next scripture. This is where David actually is going to go out and he's going to fight Goliath. So Goliath is stumbling around ready to fight someone. This is what it says. It says, as Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. So David wasn't timid. He didn't back up and say, well, okay, I'm here. Are you ready to fight? He didn't do that. He was like, get me my rock. Let me go. Let's go. And he charged him. So he is charging towards a Goliath in his life, right? And so reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. When, then David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath. David used it to kill him and cut off his head. I mean, whoa, okay, David, like put an exclamation point on that. 
And so can you imagine all the army guys, they all got their rankings on here. This is my ranking, blah, blah, blah. David just carries around a guy's head like, here's my ranking. They're like, okay, yeah, man, you're David. You got it, right? And so David obviously was not afraid. Did I mention, by the way, that he's not in the army? And so he is leading without having a position or a title. Quit waiting to have the corner office to be a leader in your environment. You can lead right now from where you are. The key is to make the first move. Go on the offensive. But in today's world, oh no, if you go on the offensive, you may be offensive. The problem is if you're trying to only say what everyone wants to, everyone's supposed to agree with, only do what everyone agrees with, you'll never say anything and you'll never do anything. To lead means to be criticized. Don't worry about it. You do what God told you to do because he is the audience you're here to please, yeah. not other people. <laughs> go on the offensive and don't hold back. Make the first move. You know, if you're single and there's some girl you've been thinking about for a while, hey, man, you know what? Go ask her out. Oh, well, if she says no, then I'll be home this Friday night alone. Like you were last Friday night. I know, nothing will change. So try, right? You know, like, oh, I really want to buy a rental house and I'm afraid the bank may say no if I ask for a loan. Well, go ask for a loan. If they say no, then say, okay, thank you for that. Now, can you tell me why you said no? Go back and fix that and go ask again. Go on the offensive. You need to start taking risks. God does not expect you to sit back. Let's get going. Don't be afraid to step out in faith. The Bible says to take courage. It says it over and over and over again. Take courage. Step out in faith. Do not be afraid. By the way, you know how many times it says do not afraid, be afraid in the Bible? 365 times. That means there's not a day of the year you're supposed to be in fear. It's time to step out in faith and do what God tells you to do. Fortune favors the brave, and David was brave. He went out and killed his Goliath. What's your Goliath? You need to run towards it and quit thinking about it. I'm going to pray about it, and let me just think about it a little bit, and I'll get to talk to him. No, just run at it. Just go for it. Give it a run. And you, well, what if, what if I get hurt? Then get up and run again. Keep going. I'd rather die fighting than die being a coward in the corner. Let's go for it. Your life is not a dress rehearsal. This is it. Use it well. Step out in faith and do something big and watch God come through for you because that's how he works. He doesn't want you to be passive. He wants you to be an active participant in your life. So it's time to go for it. And the girls that are single are like, yeah, but I have to wait for him to ask me out. No, you don't. You can walk up to him and say, I'm waiting for you to ask me out still. Go ahead and be bold. Don't hold back. I don't know what it is about this, but for some reason, we get scared, we get nervous, but God wants us to move forward. You're in the army of the Lord. Did you know that? The Bible's very clear. Armies were not meant to be passive. Armies were meant to go on the attack. And so I want to encourage you to do just that. And then here's just another thing about David. So David, by the way, after beating Goliath, the king keeps his word, and one of the rewards was to marry his daughter. Not a bad deal. The other part was to not pay taxes. I actually like that even better. I'm like, oh, no taxes? Yeah, I'll do it. What do you want me to do? And so... So he, he got the daughter, no taxes, that's a pretty good deal. And so, but then the king got jealous of David. And so then the king went crazy. I mean, if you study the life of Saul, it's pretty crazy. He, he goes nuts. At one point, he, he takes a swing at David multiple times. David has to run for his life because he's so young. I mean, David was a great victory, had a great victory, but he was only like 16, 17, maybe 18 years old at the time. And so he was very, very young. Here's Saul, this powerful man over the whole land. And now he's on the hunt to hunt down David and to kill him. He's literally... He, he, he's scared of David. He's, he's intimidated by David. So now David's on the run. And while he's on the run, these other basically uh, young men who were, were basically misfits and they're running for the law also, they all found David and kind of became his little crew. 
And so, and the reason I want to bring this up is because sometimes we think that David just had all these mighty warriors show up around him. No, no. He had misfits show up around him. Then he built them into mighty warriors. Don't complain about the team God gave you. Understand, when you see someone who has a better team than you, they built that. They didn't get that. They didn't recruit it. They built it. We're supposed to be in the business of taking broken people and building them up. And that's exactly what David did. He took a ragamuffin bunch of guys and he turned them into warriors. By the end of David's career, all those same young men who are around him are now older men, and they were called David's mighty men. So he literally built them. Well, in the middle of that process, David's being hunted like a dog by Saul. At one point, David is hiding in the cave from Saul and all his legions of army. While he's in there, Saul doesn't know he's in there. Saul goes in to relieve himself. He goes in to go to the bathroom, right? So Saul's got to go blow it out. So he goes in there. I mean, he's the king, but you still have needs, you know? So he goes in there and he's, he's squatting, taking care of business. While he's doing that, David is behind the rock seeing him. I'm sure he's like, what in the world? So he sees him and he's like, I have an opportunity here. And the thought must have crossed his mind like, this guy's been trying to hunt down me and kill me. I mean, I took care of Goliath for him. I have served him faithfully. He's trying, you know what? I should just take him out right now. And I guarantee you the guys beside David, his mighty men were like, give me a chance. Just, I'll do it right now. Just give me my knife. I'll, I'll go. I'll take care of it. And David pulled back and said, no, we're not going to do that. Look at the scripture. This is amazing. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord and King. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. You know, this took some serious restraint. You know what David was teaching us, by the way? He was teaching us that even if you have a bad boss, you don't have to respect the boss. You need to respect the position. Did you catch that? You don't have to agree with how everything's being run in your state, your country, your city, uh, your community, your, your organization, your church, um, your school where you go, but you still have to honor the positions. Does that make sense? And so that's what he teaches us here. And so what does this mean for you and me? It means that we need to do what's right, not what's convenient. Do what's right, not what's convenient. But we live in a world today that's all about convenience. Have you noticed this? Have you noticed all the Hollywood actors now? They're not even officially signed to divorce papers. They're already dating someone else. Because it's convenient. You're like, oh, you know, it's just paperwork. We'll just let that. But you know what? You're not divorced. And so that's, that's called adultery. You're still married, Right. And so the point is, is that it's just convenient. That's what we're taught. You know what? You know, if you cheat on your taxes a little bit, no one's going to know. It's no big deal. Yeah, God will know. You know, I mean, I know there's no one supervising you at work those last few hours. You leave a little early. No one's even going to know this. Yeah, God's going to know this. That's called stealing time. And so we are so into doing what's convenient rather than doing what's right. I want to teach you something pretty unpopular. You want to get ahead in life? Do the work. Put the time in. Read the chapter so you'll know it, so you pass the quiz. Actually read the chapter. I hear these students say, I'm going to go talk to professor and see what I need to do to get an A. Uh, he already gave you a syllabus. That's what you need to do to get an A. <laughs> do the work. It's like, oh, I want to be close to God. Then open the Bible. Spend the time in the Word. In other words, guys, we keep trying to do shortcuts, but there is no such thing as a shortcut to greatness. Amen. you got to put in the work. Put in the time. Do the right thing. You know what, guys? It's not convenient to tithe. It's not convenient to serve in the church. Sometimes it's not even convenient to show up at church, but you just do it. Can you imagine complaining to Jesus? Oh, Jesus, it's just so hard. I mean, tithing is 10%. It's just, it's just so much money, and I don't know what to do with Oh, what is that? Oh, I got a little drip of blood from the stained cross you're on right now. As we're complaining to Christ about being inconvenienced, tell that to a blood-stained cross. 
See, we forget that this Bible is chock full of stories of sacrifice, of people who gave it all. The Bible says that Paul, it said that he risked his life for the gospel. We're scared to give up 10% of our income for the gospel, yet risk our lives. We're scared it may be a little embarrassing to bring up Jesus at the, at the lunchroom. It may be a little awkward to invite a friend to church, you know, because that's mixing religion and work. And the truth is, is that the Bible is chock full of sacrifice. Yes. So we do it because it's right, not because it's convenient. Let me ask you another question. Have you made a vow to God that you haven't kept? Did you make that vow to God when you really need him? Oh, God, if you just get me out of this mess, I promise I'll always serve you. And God's like, yeah, I did my part. How about you? Remember when you told me you'd start tithing if I uh, got you out of that mess? I think you're out of the mess. Hey, remember that time when you were in a lot of legal trouble and I helped you get through that and you said you'd always serve me? Where are you at, man? Where are you at? You made a big promise to me. The Bible's very clear to keep your vows. And so, you know, I mean, let's be honest. If it wasn't for Jesus, a lot of us right now would be dead. What if Jesus would be addicted? What if Jesus would be behind bars? We'd have an STD. If it wasn't for Jesus, how many messes... How many bad situations has Jesus protected you from, and yet you don't keep your vow? Oh, no. This inconvenience, man. This, you came to the wrong church if you want something that's going to tickle your ears today, because that's not what God's Word says. God's Word says, step up and be a disciple. Someone needs to step up. Let's not do what's convenient. Let's do what is right. Maybe you're single and you made a commitment to God. Oh God, for the next year, I'm just going to date you. Then Mr. Cute guy or girl comes along. Well, maybe not, maybe not like a whole year. God's like, whoa, did you keep, you going to keep your word? Because if you keep your word, I'll keep them there. You just obey me. I'll keep them there. And if they move on, then the God must be what God wanted. So you just keep your word. Do not cancel out on God's word and expect him to bless you. We need to be people of integrity. Our word, if we say, yes, I agree to that, then stick to it. Or quit talking a big blah, 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 talk about your faith when you're not being a person of integrity. We need people of integrity who keep their word. We need to learn to keep our word in our work, in, in, in our agreements. You know, you married someone, you're married to them for life. That's how that we roll. Oh, but I'm really going through it. Then go through it. Stay with them. Work it out. The best years are on the other side of that difficult time. The best years in your work are on the other side. When you stay faithful to that job, even when you're offended, even when they hurt you, even to get passed up for promotion. If you'll stay faithful where God has put you, God will bless that. Keep your vow. Keep your word. I promise you. God really will bless it, but you have to stay faithful even when it's tough. It says in Deuteronomy 23, it says, once you have voluntarily made a vow, be careful to fulfill your promise to the Lord your God. God wants us to keep our word. Now, this next one that David did changed my life. I'm going to be honest. This verse has kept me in the ministry. This verse has kept me through very difficult situations in my life, and I believe this word can keep you too. David got to a point where he's now leading a, a group of soldiers. He's king. He's, he's in charge, right? He's a big man, and uh, they, go and they, they go on these conquests and conquer different lands. One particular time, they leave their encampment with their wives, their children, and all their stuff, and they go to fight a battle. While they're off, another warring tribe comes in, takes their wives, their children, and all their stuff. All the soldiers with David come home, they realize in, in all in one day, they are completely bankrupt. They've lost everything and they've lost their families, which is even worse than the money and all the stuff they had and their children. So they're devastated. Here's the problem. The men were so upset that they, they not only were upset about losing their families, they were mad that David had led them to leave, leaving their families vulnerable. So now they're talking about stoning David. So just imagine that. So now they want to stone David. So David's like, I got outside warring tribes wanting to kill me, and I got inside guys I thought were on my side also thinking about taking me out. Guys, the most dangerous fire is always friendly fire. Yes. 
Someone that you trusted that betrays you, right? So David doesn't know what to do. And here's the problem. There's no one that, what's he going to need to go to his family and talk to him about it? They're all gone. And so he has no one but God. God will let you get to a place in your life, in your career, in your family, in your situation, whatever it may be, where you feel completely alone. And the reason why God lets you get there is when you finally are totally alone and feel like there's no one in your corner is when you realize you've never been alone. God's always been there for you. And we have to learn to do like David did. Check it out. 1 Samuel 30. David was greatly distressed for the men spoke of stoning him because the souls of them all were bitterly grieved, each man for his sons and daughters. But David encouraged and strengthened himself in the Lord. And this is important. Number three, you got to learn to encourage yourself. Quit going to work, waiting to get recognized for all that you do and recognize yourself. Go in front of the mirror at work. If no one's going to point out all the great work you're doing, look in the mirror and say, hey, I recognize you. You're doing a good job. Keep it up. You need to learn to encourage yourself in the Lord. We all go through dark seasons. And I want to encourage you too with this, that if you'll let the pain you're dealing with, you can not only, instead of letting it hurt you, you can let it fuel you. It's a game changer. Elon Musk, very openly in interviews, says again and again that one of the things that has fueled him over the years is that his father, when he was very young, left him and his, fa- his brother and his mom, left his family, left them destitute. They were broke. And his father said to him in no uncertain terms, you will not amount to anything. And that has fueled him. And I think he's done pretty well. Consider he's the richest guy in the world and also the highest taxpayer in the world. He pay, he's paying $11 billion in taxes this year. What are you making if you're paying $11 billion in taxes, right? And so he let that fuel him. Barbara Corcoran from Shark Tank, she's pretty open about this as well. Her husband and her started off in real estate together. Her husband left her with her secretary, ran off. And, she's, and he said to her on the way out, you'll never be able to do this without me. And that has fueled her over the years to become incredibly successful. She now owns hundreds of millions of dollars in real estate all across the state of New York and has an incredibly successful TV show as well. She says when she goes to hire people, she looks for people who let pain fuel them. Because that, that you will, if you will let your pain fuel you, you will never lack fuel. Early on when we started our church, I was 25. My wife and I, we moved here, didn't know anyone. Everyone was young. The whole church... If, we, if you're over 30, we're like, whoa, you're old, man. That's crazy. <laughs> we're so young. People are like, you're going to start a youth group. We're like, we are a youth group. We don't need to start a youth group. We are the youth group. Every Sunday morning we meet. That's the youth group. You know? So we're all so young. And so I'll never forget, there was this 40-year-old couple. I think they only came because their daughter came with them. But I'll never forget, he sat me down and he said, we're going to leave the church. I was like, why? I was like really happy they were there. And, and he said, I'm sorry, man. I just think you're really young. And I just feel like this is all going to crash and burn. I just feel like I just feel like you don't have this. And he left and it really hurt. You know what? That has fueled me over the years. Not, I, don't, I don't begrudge him. If I saw him today, I'd hug his neck and ask him about his family. But it fueled me to say, oh no, we got this. And so rather than being hurt, it rose up something in me. You say, oh no, we got this. We're going to do this because God is on our side. I don't know what you're going through, but it should be fueling you, not holding you back. You've got to learn to encourage yourself in the Lord. Something in David rose up. Something in him said, wait a minute, I'm David. I've already fought Goliath. I'm not going to get scared. So, so we had a setback. I'm going to get up. We're going to get going. I'm going to go get all my family back. And so what happened? David did that. He went and found them. He fought them. He got his wife back, his kids back, all his stuff back. It's like a country song in a verse. You get everything back. <laughs> so <laughs> having said that, I believe that God wants you to take the pain that you're going through today and let it fuel you to do great things. Learn to encourage yourself in the Lord. And by the way, when you say, oh, but I have so many problems, you know what problems are? 
they're opportunities. If you don't have problems, you don't have opportunities. Your problems are your opportunity to become a better you. Without that problem, you won't develop. David would not be who David was if he wouldn't have been hunted like a dog from Saul. What made him a great leader was to be under a lousy leader. You know what's going to make you a great boss one day? Having to work under a lousy boss. You're like, oh, this guy drives me nuts. They're terrible to work for. That's going to develop you into a great leader. My staff better not be amening me right now. They better, better not be amening me. <laughs> but it's really true that oftentimes God gives you a bad experience so you learn how to be the leader you didn't have. So let that fuel you for something great in your life. So four things David did for warrior habits that we should all have. The first is make the first move. Be on the offensive. Number two, do what's right, not what's convenient. Number three, learn to encourage yourself. And number four, and David did this. It's probably the biggest thing you can learn from David's life is to pray expectantly. Pray expectantly. If you go through Psalms over and over again, David's asking God for something. He was always asking God, God, smite them, kill them, kill my enemies. He would say that. And he, by the end of the prayer, he was like, no, fine, you can save them too, whatever. And so, but David was so raw in his prayers. He would just say, they're so mean and they're cruel and they're terrible people and you're on my side, God, and I know I'm the righteous one here and you're. And so he was, he's expressing himself. Can I be honest with you? Some when people tell me, I had a horrible prayer night the other night. I was so mad at God. I started screaming and yelling and crying. And I always tell him, that's the best prayer you've had all year. You finally got real. You actually finally had a real prayer time. Because that's what my prayer time looks like. You think it's all spiritual and nice and, dear Lord, please be with us today. In the no. Oh, my God, I'm so mad at them. I want to go beat them up, God. I want to just crush them. I'm so ticked off. And fine, God, love them too. Fine, whatever. But I just, I'm expressing my frustration, my anger. If you go to God like that, you'll discover God is a big God. He can take your hurts. He can take your hang-ups. He can take your difficulties. You can go to him with that. Very clear. Psalms 4. Psalms 4, he said, that, he said this, answer me when I call to you. Now, if you're like me, you'd read that and go, whoa, David, who do you think's in charge? You're like, you're demanding something of God. That's the way it reads. But this is not David thinking he's in charge. This is David knowing that God's already said, I have a, a given you authority, now walk in it. So it's like, God, I got a problem. I need you right now. I need you to go take care of that right there, God. That's what you take care of right there. And so he doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't hold back. He doesn't hesitate. He calls on God. He says, answer me when I call to you, O God, who declares me innocent. Free me from my troubles. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. Last night, I'm fired up. Let me tell you why. Last night, middle of the night, I woke up and I could just feel a spirit of death over me. Straight up. I know the feeling because I have it often. When that comes over me, I know it's the devil attacking me. And I didn't even hesitate to say out loud, in the name of Jesus, and I demand all these demons to get out of my house. And you cannot have any, you can't have my boys. I say, I say, demons, get away from my son in Phoenix right now. Demons, you have to get away right now. Call it up the line. You go call who you need to call, demon. You get the demons away from my son, Mason, and from my daughter, Sophie, and from my wife, Jessica. In the name of Jesus, I put a hedge of protection around all of them, and I can call on it, and he does it. If you feel under attack today, you need to know something. You're like, man, I feel like I'm getting from every side. That is a spiritual attack, and you have the authority to say, in the name of Jesus, get away from me. I am taking responsibility, and I'm taking authority over this in the name of Christ. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Call it out. Don't be afraid. David said in Psalms 86, bend down, O Lord, and hear my prayer. Answer me, for I need your help. See, he doesn't have a, a problem being bold, saying, God, I need you to help me right now. But he also says, bend down. Lord, I know I'm the lowly one here. This isn't me being arrogant or cocky. I know, God, I need you. But God, I thank you that you've already told me that you're on my side. So God, get him. That's what he says. Go get him, God. You can call that out, and God will be your protection. I believe the reason the devil is messing with me last night, because he knows he doesn't want you to hear this. Yeah. 
So you need to listen up. You have a God you can trust in. The world's been telling you to stay coward in the corner and be afraid. And I'm here to tell you, stand up in faith and encourage and be who God called you to be unapologetically. Be who God called you to be. You can trust in the Lord. What does this mean? This is where we get the term prayer warrior. David was a prayer. He was also a warrior. God's called us to be a prayer warrior. People, oh, that's me, Lord. I'm a prayer warrior. But I found people say that. What that means, I pray. I don't do a whole lot, but I pray. And my answer to this is real simple. No, no, no. God says do more and pray. It's not one or the other. You need to act like it's all, work like it's all up to you and pray like it's all up to God. Somewhere between there, God does a miracle. Pray like crazy and work like crazy. Pray and fight. Pray and go to war. Pray and be aggressive. Pray and go on the offensive. God wants you to do one and the other, not one or the other. It's both. God wants you to become a prayer warrior. There's a true story about a professor who took his class to China on a research project. They're there in China in a remote village outside of a large city, just doing their work. It's the middle of the night, about midnight. He wakes up in massive pain, doubled over, screaming. He's like, what is going on? They realize pretty quickly his appendix burst. And so now if you've ever had this, and I pray you haven't, but if you have, it's incredible pain, one of the most painful things you've ever had. But worse, if you don't get that thing out of you quickly, that burst, that, that what's inside, will actually, it poisons your body and can kill you. So they rushed him to the local village hospital. And I mean local village, I mean village. So yes, China's got great technology and they've got all the advancements we have in medicine, but not out in these small communities. And so they didn't have the ability to do anything with him. And so he walked in, he's in pain. He keeps passing out and coming back too because he's in such pain. One of the students that, that took him there, trying to figure out what to do. In broken English, the head nurse says, I'm sorry, we don't have a surgeon on call that can handle this at this hour. And when he came to and they, they told him, he said, what should I do? He's in so much pain, he can hardly stand it. Again, passing out, coming back and forth, waking up. And the nurse said to him, what I would tell you to do is to go call your family and tell you you love them. Like they didn't have an answer at the exact same time. True story. At the exact same time, this professor's father is a preacher in America, Sunday morning preaching a sermon. As he's preaching, something in his spirit says, stop and pray for your son. He's in trouble. He doesn't do it. He's like, okay. You know, he just keeps preaching. He's like, I don't know what that was. Keep preaching. A few minutes later, it wells up with him again. And finally, he says, guys, I have to stop. I'm sorry. I know I'm, I know I'm supposed to finish this message, but I just feel like I'm supposed to stop. I feel like the Lord's telling me my son is in trouble. It's a small congregation. He says, will you all join me in prayer right now for my son? I don't know what's going on. So they all get on their knees as a congregation begin to pray for this pastor's son who's on this Chinese uh, research trip. At the same time that they're praying, now it's two in the morning, in this small village county hospital walks the number one surgeon in all of China. Walks in the door at two in the morning. The head nurse immediately recognizes this guy's famous. In fact, he's the surgeon that's on call when a U.S. president goes to China just in case something goes down. He's that guy. He walks in. They immediately recognize, like, sir, what are you doing here? And he says, I'm here to work on the American. I'm here to do surgery on the American. They're like, quickly, let's get him. He's right over here. And so they prep him up, and he does an emergency appendectomy on the professor. The next morning, the professor is recovering in his bed after surgery. He does, he still just, he can't believe in what happened. He was so out of it. He doesn't even remember meeting the guy. But when the surgeon walks in to check on him, he says, oh, th thank you so much for, for doing the surgery. I'm so glad you came by so I could thank you. And the Chinese surgeon said, I didn't come by to check on you. I came by to ask you a question. Who were those men you sent to my house and how did you have my address? 
And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. You can trust God to come through for you. That's what I'm talking about. He's got you. You can trust in your God. He knows exactly what you need and when you need it. And he's seldom early, but he is never late. And he will come through for you. Would you bow your heads with me? Every head bowed, every eye closed. We take a moment to pray today. I know God's speaking. I don't even need to ask. I can sense it. Praise God. Praise you, God. Thank you. Praise you, God. You're moving in your house. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Is God speaking to you? Is he telling you you've been too timid? Quit living in fear. Quit being afraid. Fear is not in our vocabulary. We are to be people of faith. Be strong and courageous, says the Lord my God. He says it again and again. Again, I say, be strong and courageous. Young men, be strong and courageous. Do the right thing, even if it's inconvenient. Do the right thing. With your head bowed and your eyes closed. Someone, God's speaking to you right now, saying, time to step up. Time to get proactive. Time to go on the offensive. If that's you today, would you lift your hand high? If God's speaking to you, saying, come on. It's God saying to you, I brought you here to give you a kick in the pants today. Step up. Quit letting life happen to you. You need to make it happen in your life. Quit waiting. Well, I'm just waiting. You know, whenever this happens. No, 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 I'm waiting. Get up and get going. Do what God told you to do. Boldly. If God spoke it to you, you already have the authority to go do it. Do it. Obey the Lord. Obey the Lord. Obey the Lord. Sure, get accountability. Talk to wise people. I'm not saying don't do that, but obey the Lord. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, Jesus went on the offensive for you. Jesus died for your sin. You see, if you want to go to heaven, there's only two ways in. The first is to be totally perfect and sinless. And I don't know about you, but I blew that plan a long time ago. So the only way left for me and for you is to accept Christ, who is perfect, who died on the cross for your sins and for mine. Jesus died for our sins and he rose again from the grave, proving that he's God. Now he waits for you to receive him. Right now, all of our campuses, those online, just bow your heads. You can pray this prayer. You can receive Jesus right now. Just say something like this. Just say, dear Jesus, I realize I need you. I believe you died for my sin. And I believe you rose again. I ask you to come into my heart. Be my Lord and be my Savior. I repent of my sins. I put you in first place. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Your head bowed and your eyes closed right now across all of our churches. If you just gave your life to Jesus, would you just boldly lift your hand high? No one's looking around. Just lift your hand high right now if you just gave your life to Christ. Thank you. There are hands going up all across our different churches right now. We see those hands. Thank you. Thank you. Boldly lift your hand high if you just gave your life to Jesus. Thank you. We see those hands. Thank you. Thank you. Right here in the second row. Thank you. All the way in the back. Thank you. We see those hands. Thank you, Padre Island. Thank you. We see those hands, Rockport. Thank you. All the way there in Stone Oak. Thank you. Praise God. Right there at Rodfield. Praise God. Thank you. Hands are raised. You're online with us right now. Put it in the text chat right now. Just text. Just text us right now. My hands raised. We'll know, we know what you mean. If you're streaming with us at churchunlimited.com, just click hand raised. Praise God. Thank you. Many people are giving their life to Jesus right now. Thank you. You can, buy your, you can put your hands down. Every head bowed, every eye closed. One last thing. I want to challenge you this week. You know, Super Bowl Sunday next weekend. We always do this every year called 30-second theology. It's a great outreach. We use funny and compelling commercials to teach through them. It's a great thing we do every year. I want to challenge you to go on the offensive. 
be bold and bring someone to church next week with you. Would you do that? Would you be bold? Would you quit being afraid and recognize that what you have inside of you is the answer to this world's problems? Would you be bold and bring someone to church with you? If that's you, would you lift your hand high? Would you just agree with me right now? You know, I'm going to bring someone. You say, oh, I'm just online right now. You know what? You can invite someone to join you online. You know, this won't be archived. We can't do that. We don't own these commercials. So when it's live, it's live. That's it. So why don't you invite someone next week to watch it with you and watch God move in your friend and in your family's heart. Let's be bold. Let's be a witness. Let's bring someone to church. Let's bring someone to the broadcast. Let's bring someone to Rodfield. Come on, Stone Oak. Why do you think we put that campus there? So you can be a bold witness and bring someone. Why do you think we rebuilt in Rockport, guys? So that you have a place to bring someone to show them Jesus. Right now, every campus, every campus, our online ministry is growing because you bring someone, you invite someone. Lord, thank you, God, that we can be a witness. I pray your blessings over all that we do this week. I pray that we would be bold and all the offensive and that we would take action. Lord, we are not gonna cower in fear any longer. We're gonna have the courage habit. Thank you, God, for David, for his warrior ways. We are warriors too. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Isn't God good? His word is so true.